You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of the collected set of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Sun Mystery and the Mystery of Death and Resurrection. Uh, it's volume 211 in the collected works. Lecture 2 is entitled The Three States of Night Consciousness, given in Dornach, March 24, 1922. We begin by knowing only with the waking state of consciousness, which serves our daily life and conventional science. This familiar territory, however, does not unveil the riddles of existence. If life's riddles could be solved in the waking state, they would cease to be riddles, because the answers would be divulged continuously, and it would not occur to us to ask questions. Even if we do not formulate them precisely, the very fact that we ponder existential questions, such as, what is the deeper meaning of life? suggests that in the depths of our souls we have longings that are not fulfilled by ordinary consciousness. We sense that part of our human existence arises from the more or less unconscious recesses of the soul and does not become fully conscious without effort on our part. As a result, people who do not observe life very carefully are led to develop all sorts of speculative philosophies which ultimately remain unsatisfying. Anyone who approaches these phenomena with a certain lack of bias, however, will realize that the answers to such questions and an understanding of life's meaning may lie concealed in sleep, which is the opposite of the waking state. I have often discussed this subject, but it is important to return to it repeatedly, because anthroposophy can be understood only by approaching it from a variety of different aspects. We know that dream activity arises out of sleep, and that dreams unfold in pictures. When we begin observing our dreams, one of the first things we notice is that dream images refer to objects and events in our waking life and ordinary consciousness. Although we often say that we dream about things we have never experienced, I must nonetheless emphasize that the pieces of imagery that make up our dreams are derived from ordinary consciousness. Another quite separate element of dream activity is its drama. The tension or feelings of anxiety, delight or readiness for action that build as the dream progresses. The drama behind the sequence of dream images derives from a deeper aspect of human nature than our day consciousness. The following scenarios will show you what I mean. Suppose you dream that you come upon a cave while hiking in the mountains. You enter the cave. The dim light gives way to darkness as you go deeper into the cave. A nameless impulse forces you to keep walking and you begin to feel increasingly anxious, uh, afraid of falling into an abyss in the darkness. You wake up and the feeling of fear persists for a while. Or perhaps you dream that you are standing somewhere and see a person approaching in the distance. 
As the person comes near, you see the terrifying expression on his face, and you know that he is planning to attack you. Your anxiety increases as he draws closer, and the harmless instrument he showed you from the distance is transformed, dreams are great transformers, into a horrible murder weapon. Again your anxiety increases to the point of panic, and the fear persists even after you wake up. These images, a cave beneath a mountain or an approaching enemy, are very different. But the psychological experience is the same in both cases, even though it is very different from anything you may have experienced in waking life. We might even say that the images are unimportant compared with the dream's inherent psychological drama, regardless of whether the dream involves an inner impulse or something approaching from outside The important aspect is the sense of anxiety that increases until fear jolts you awake and returns you to waking consciousness. You do not perceive the mounting forces hidden behind the dream and clothed in its imagery. The two series of images I mentioned are just examples. The same psychological content could be veiled in any number of different images. There is something happening in the soul. We remain unaware of what is happening on this level, but we are aware of dream images. They are the aspect of the dream that becomes conscious. The more important aspect, however, is the escalation from mild to pronounced anxiety to intense fear. In both instances, the images, the mountain, the cave, the approaching enemy, the weapon, are taken from daily life. These images, however, are merely a disguise and this disguise can be penetrated by the imaginal consciousness I have often described. With imaginal consciousness, we dwell in the underlying psychological forces, such as the escalation of anxiety to intense fear, and thus discover an element that is different and distinct from the imagery that veils it. When you are asleep, your eye and astral body are outside of your physical and etheric bodies, Normally you pass very rapidly through the etheric body and into the physical body as you wake up. Under slightly abnormal circumstances, however, you may be detained briefly in the etheric body before entering the physical body. In deep sleep your consciousness is empty of dream images derived from waking life. They develop only during the transitional states, waking up or falling asleep. When you are detained in the etheric body, on the way into or out of the physical body. Imaginal consciousness makes it possible for us to be active outside of the body in the psychological forces that underlie dreams. When, through deliberate effort, we achieve imaginal consciousness, we live in a different reality. We live in the world where we are between falling asleep and waking up, when we are ordinarily unconscious. To use a physical image of what happens to the soul when we fall asleep, it is like losing consciousness as we submerge in water and regaining it only when the water's buoyancy lifts us above the surface again. When the soul leaves the body, it submerges in the spiritual world and loses consciousness. On waking up and re-entering the body, it emerges from the spiritual world and regains consciousness. As I mentioned earlier, Dream images arise whenever we do not enter the physical body 
immediately, but have time to notice the transition through the etheric body. When we learn to leave the physical body and enter the spiritual world deliberately, the images that arise are neither arbitrary nor derived from daily life. We then perceive images such as those I used to describe the development of the cosmos in title Esoteric Science. The images in Esoteric Science and all similar accounts all originate in the way that I have just characterized. So what does Esoteric Science contain? Well, it contains thoughts. We can think its contents. As you know, I always emphasize that mentally tracing such contents requires nothing more than healthy common sense even though the thoughts in esoteric science are not ordinary thoughts. They are thoughts that work creatively in the cosmos. We find ourselves surrounded by such thoughts as soon as we cross the threshold into the spiritual world. They are not dream images, which arise under the very different circumstances that I have just described. They are actual experiences in the spiritual world. Imagine yourself asleep. During sleep, intense, all-encompassing events take place in your soul, but they go unnoticed because you are unconscious when you sleep. In the morning you re-enter your physical body, submerging in it immediately. You then use your eyes to see colors and light, you, your ears to hear sounds and so on. You become conscious. A transitional state is also possible. You may enter the etheric body, without entering the physical body immediately. This is the state in which you experience dreams. Now imagine waking up from deep sleep and becoming conscious before you even enter the etheric body. If that were to happen, you would wake up in the external ether that fills the entire cosmos and you would become conscious of everything described in esoteric science. If you were to become conscious in the middle of the night, Without returning to your physical body, you would be outside of your body. You would be able to see it from the outside. But you would also perceive the cosmology portrayed in esoteric science. I call what I describe there the formative forces of the cosmos or cosmic thoughts. Just as we explain individual thoughts in daily life, everything that you would see in the spiritual world can be explained. For instance, the earth evolved in this and such a way. It went through a moon stage, a sun stage, a Saturn stage, in short, everything I describe in esoteric science. This is only one of three possible modes of perception in the spiritual world. In our day consciousness, we can distinguish three modes of experience, thinking, feeling, and willing. Similarly, our night consciousness, which is usually unconsciousness, encompasses three different states. We do not spend our entire waking time in one mode of experience, and the same is true of the time between falling asleep and waking. At any given time when we are awake, we may be thinking, or feeling, or willing. Similarly, we sleep in three different states. Those who have learned to acquire imaginal consciousness perceive cosmic formative forces, but regardless of whether or not we perceive them, we all enter the realm of these forces or cosmic thoughts whenever we fall asleep. Like submerging in water when we dive in, we also submerge in cosmic formative forces 
when we fall asleep. In addition to the state where we dwell in cosmic formative forces, sleep includes two other states, just as waking consciousness encompasses feeling and willing as well as thinking. Thinking or having thoughts corresponds to life in the cosmic formative forces during sleep. In other words, if you become conscious during the lightest stage of sleep, you wake up into cosmic formative forces. This is like swimming through the cosmos from one end to the other, moving through thoughts that are also flowing forces. Normally we bring something back into our waking life, through dreams, only from this lightest stage of sleep. But as I described earlier, the images in these dreams are in no way definitive because the same dream can be veiled in very different images. Nonetheless, the lightest stage of sleep can produce dreams. That is, we can bring something back out of this state into consciousness or we can at least sense that we experienced something while asleep. This is true only of the lightest stage of sleep. But there is also a deeper level of sleep from which no dream images rise into daily consciousness unless the soul has undergone special training. Only those who achieve inspired consciousness are capable of knowing anything about this next stage of sleep. People with this ability are not limited to perceiving what I described in esoteric science, although in fact some of that carries over from inspired consciousness. It is important to understand the transition from light sleep to this deeper sleep from which we return without dreams. Anthroposophy is essential to this understanding. Anyone capable of perception in the worlds of light or dream-filled sleep perceives the ebb and flow of thought images or cosmic imaginations which reveal cosmic mysteries. They also reveal another world to which we belong in addition to the one where we spend our conscious waking life. We all live in this world during light sleep, although we are not aware of it. This world, which I described in esoteric science, is not static like a two-dimensional painting, but is in constant motion. At a certain point images begin to appear in this world. As they increase in clarity and brilliance, these images reveal specific beings behind them. And then the images fade, and we are left with nothing in our consciousness except a certain sense that the images have been suppressed. Then the images reappear. As they ebb and flow, cosmic music also becomes audible, what we call the music of the spheres. This cosmic music is more than just melody and harmony. It represents the deeds and actions of the beings that inhabit the spiritual world. These beings are the angels, archangels, archai, and so on. On surging waves of images, we see moving beings that work out of the spirit to direct the cosmos. The second world, the world in which these beings manifest, is perceived through inspiration. This world is the second element of sleep, just as feeling is the second element of wakefulness. During sleep, therefore, we enter not only the world of cosmic thoughts, but also the world in which the deeds of the inhabitants of the spiritual world are revealed within the ebb and flow of these thoughts. In addition to these two states of sleep, however, a third state also exists, 
We usually have no inkling at all of this third state. We are aware of the existence of light, dream-filled sleep and deeper dreamless sleep. We become aware of a third type of sleep only occasionally when we wake up with a sense of having undergone very profound experiences during sleep. This state leaves us with a sense of heaviness that we must overcome during the first few hours of wakefulness. I am certain that a number of you are familiar with this sensation of waking from a different type of sleep. This experience points to a third type of sleep that is extremely significant for human beings. Its contents can be grasped only through intuitive consciousness. In light sleep, much of what we experience still resembles life in the waking state. We are still involved, although differently, in our breathing. We are still involved, although from outside, not from within, in our circulation and other bodily processes. In the second stage of sleep, we are no longer involved in the life of the body. Instead, we might say that we participate in a world common to the body and the soul. In this state, some aspects of the body still play over into the soul in a way that corresponds to the influence of light on plants as they develop in the light. During the third type of sleep, however, something inside us becomes mineral-like. Salt deposition in the body becomes especially pronounced and the soul lives inside the mineral world. Suppose you could perform the following experiment. You are lying in bed, first in the state of light, dream-filled, and then in the deeper, dreamless sleep in which the soul still maintains a connection to the physical body, but then you enter the stage of very deep sleep when salt deposition increases in the body and the soul is no longer involved in bodily processes. Suppose that you keep a piece of crystalline quartz on your nightstand. In this state you can slip inside it with your soul and perceive it from the inside out. You cannot do this during sleep of the first or second type. The contents of the first type of sleep can pass over into dreams, and if you dreamed about the crystal, you would still experience it as such. Your experience, although shadowy, would still contain crystal-like elements. If you then sank into sleep of the second type, your experience would no longer be so strictly limited to the crystal. If you were still able to dream, normally you would not be able to, but let's assume that you could, the crystal world, excuse me, the crystal would become indistinct and transform itself into a sphere or ellipsoid of sorts before it disappeared. But if you could dream that has achieved the level of intuition during the third deepest stage of sleep, you would experience being inside the quartz crystal. You could follow, follow its edges up to the point and then down again. You could live inside the crystal or any other mineral, experiencing not only its shape, but also its intrinsic forces. In short, the third type of sleep takes us completely outside of the body and inserts us into the spiritual world. During this third type of sleep, we experience a third mode of existence in the essential character of the spiritual world itself. We enter into the beingness of angels, archangels, and all the other beings that we otherwise perceive only from outside through their manifestations. 
In a waking state we apply our sense-based consciousness to the outer manifestations of the gods in nature. We enter the world of images in light sleep, the world of manifestations in the second stage of sleep, and the world of revelations in the third stage. In this third type of sleep we experience divine spiritual beings from the inside. The three types of soul activity, thinking, feeling, and willing, that we experience during waking consciousness have their counterparts during sleep, when we flow with cosmic thoughts, perceive in them the deeds of divine spiritual beings, or are taken into the beings themselves so that our soul rests in them. Thinking, or ideation, is the clearest type of day consciousness, whereas feeling, which is always dreaming in a way, is duller by comparison, and willing is the least conscious, sleep-like state of day consciousness. Similarly, there are three levels of consciousness during sleep. The first is the state in which our ordinary consciousness experiences dreams and higher clairvoyant consciousness perceives cosmic thoughts. At the second level, our ordinary consciousness is empty, but inspired consciousness perceives the deeds of divine spiritual beings all around us. At the third level, intuitive consciousness is active within these divine spiritual beings themselves. As I mentioned earlier, the ability to submerge into minerals signals this third level of consciousness. The third type of sleep is especially important for human beings. Let us consider the second type of sleep in greater detail. As I mentioned before, at this level of higher consciousness, you discover cosmic beings, angels, archangels, and so on, moving in images that weave and surge, appear and disappear. But you also discover yourself, your own soul, not as you are now, but as you were before birth or conception. You get to know yourself as you were in life between death and a new birth. This aspect of yourself also belongs to this second world. Each time you enter dreamless sleep, you enter the world where you lived before descending to take on a physical body. If you enter the third type of sleep and are capable of waking up in that world through intuitive consciousness, you experience your own destiny or karma. You understand not only why you have particular abilities in this life, as a result of the character of your previous life, but also why you have been brought together with certain other personalities in your present life. From a different perspective, you can recognize your own destiny in this way only when you are also able to penetrate into the interior of minerals, when you can see a quartz crystal, for example, from the inside instead of simply from outside. You are not allowed to cut it into pieces, of course, because if you did that, you would still be seeing each fragment from the outside. When you are able to do this, you also become capable of understanding why you encounter a particular stroke of destiny in this lifetime. Consider a crystal, any crystal, such as an ordinary cubic salt crystal. With your ordinary consciousness, you see it from the outside. As far as this type of consciousness is concerned, your life is not transparent. But when you learn to penetrate the crystal and see it from the inside, the size of the crystal is not a limiting factor here, you find yourself in a world that also allows you to understand your own destiny. 
You are in this world whenever you enter the third type of sleep. After the mystery of Golgotha, after the appearance of the Christ on earth, such things were felt especially strongly in places like Central Europe, where Christianity mingled with a strong ancient pagan consciousness. People knew that certain individuals died by falling into this type of deep sleep and that they would not have had to die if the Christ had come to their aid. This was said of the deaths of Charlemagne and Frederick Barbarossa. I am simply passing on to you what people sensed about their deaths. Although to all outer appearances Frederick Barbarossa drowned, it was nonetheless reported that he died in this way. The sense was even stronger with regard to Charlemagne. Where did medieval consciousness imagine that such souls went? Into crystals, inside mountains, where they waited for the Christ to come and awaken them from deepest sleep. Legends developed on the basis of such consciousness. The union of the Christ impulse with the earth, since the mystery of Golgotha, is what now causes the Angeloi, Archangeloi, and so on, to bring human beings back when they fall into the third type of sleep, from which they cannot return by themselves. This is a fact related to the power of Christ itself, not to personal belief in it. What the Christ did on earth is an objective, accomplished fact, and the awakening I, capital, have, have just described, oh, excuse me, let me read that again. What the Christ did on earth is an objective, accomplished fact, and the awakening I have just described takes place regardless of an individual's religious affiliation or faith. We will talk about the importance of faith in the next few days, but this awakening is an objective fact that has nothing to do with faith. There is something very special about this third level of sleep. For people who lived before the mystery of Golgotha, that means all of us in earlier lifetimes, the third type of sleep was a very common experience. But before they sank down into it, their guardian angels appeared to bring them back. As human beings, we can find our way back out of the first and second levels of sleep by ourselves. But this is not true of the third level. This is a unique attribute of the third level of sleep. Prior to the appearance of the Christ on earth, human beings would have died if they were not brought back from this level by angels or other spiritual beings. But ever since the mystery of Golgotha, as I have often emphasized, the power of Christ is united with the earth. This power is what now helps us make our way back out of the third type of sleep. Without the power of Christ we would be unable to awaken from that level. We can slip inside the crystal, but we cannot get out again without the power of Christ. When we look behind the scenes we realize how important the Christ impulse is for earthly existence. Let me emphasize again, without the power of the Christ, we would be able to get inside the crystal, but unable to get back out. How is this possible? It became possible because the world of the gods themselves was imbued with a new destiny. Let me characterize this changed destiny as follows. Here in the physical world, human beings are born and die. This is not true of the divine spiritual beings of the higher hierarchies. They are not born and do not die. They are simply transformed. The Christ who lived with the other divine spiritual beings until the time of the mystery of Golgotha decided to experience death, to descend to earth and become human 
in order to undergo death in a human constitution and to regain consciousness after death through resurrection. For a god to undergo death for this purpose was a very significant event in the divine spiritual world. In the history of the earth's evolution, the single most important event was that a god became human, allowing his power to pervade the very important event of being brought back from the third level of sleep. In earthly life, the god who became human has such power that he releases human souls from the interior of crystals. In speaking of the Christ, we are referring to a cosmic being, a god who became human. The Christ descended into the human world and into death, taking on a human body in order to participate in human destiny. But where do we find his counterpart, the human being who became a god? This god would not necessarily have to be a very good god. When we look for the opposite pole, we are looking for a human being who freed himself from death and the constraints of the human body to become a god under earthly circumstances. This human being would cease to be mortal, but would continue to roam the earth, although not under the same conditions as an ordinary human being who passes from birth to death to a new birth. We are looking for a human being who became a god on earth and roams the earth forever, having acquired divinity illegitimately in contrast to the Christ, the God who became human through legitimate means. As you know, Christian tradition that points to the Christ Jesus as the legitimate God become human also associates him with Ahasuerus, the illegitimate human become God, who abandoned the mortality characteristic of human nature. Thus we find the polar opposite of Christ Jesus in Ahasuerus. This is the deeper foundation and meaning of the Ahasuerus legend, which describes an actual reality that must be conveyed to people. This illegitimate God, the being of Ahasuerus, actually roams the earth, wandering from one ethnic group to another. One of his tasks is to prevent the Jewish faith from dying out. If we truly wish to understand history, we have good reason to pay attention to its spiritual components, to see how the forces and beings of supersensible worlds play into the sense-perceptible world. The Christ's appearance in the physical world is one example. We must also understand how the sense-perceptible world plays into supersensible worlds, and in this connection we must see Ahasuerus as an actual cosmic power or being. People have always been conscious of him roaming the earth. He has always been present, although, of course, he cannot be perceived with physical eyes, but only with a certain degree of clairvoyant vision. The legends about him are based on solidly objective foundations. We fail to understand human life when we consider it from purely external perspectives, as it is described in history books, without considering its exceptional developments. It is undeniably true that the Christ has dwelt in us since the mystery of Golgotha. When clairvoyant vision is directed inward, we can find the Christ within ourselves. When it is directed outward toward human life around us, Ahasuerus, the wandering Jew, appears to us, most people who acquire clairvoyance are able to direct their higher vision outward in this way, and it can also happen unexpectedly when someone passes over the threshold of consciousness. We may mistake Ahasuerus for some other being instead of recognizing him for who he is. Nonetheless, it is quite possible 
for the wandering Jew to appear to us, just as it is possible for the radiance of the Christ to light up within us when we turn our gaze inward. These subjects touch on a few of the many cosmic mysteries that are meant to be revealed in our time. The end of Lecture 2